Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I mentioned these highly sensitive cultural hot-button issues of sex with nine-year-old children, of sex with animals, as long as the animal no longer needs veterinary attention after it has suffered the man's attention. I mention them because it's part of the civilizational context in which we are going to look at the now 12-month-old special military operation mounted by the Russian Federation into the territory of Ukraine. I mention that because Putin himself, in his two speeches this week, located his side of the argument, located Russia, China, India, Iran, South Africa, Brazil, Venezuela, the effective allies of Russia, either overtly or behind the curtain as standing up against a tide of filth, a tide of filth which strikes at the very heart of the things that most people in the world believe in, even in the countries that are ramming through judicial legislative reforms and cultural hegemony of some of the most obscene and demented ideas ever known in human civilization. I'm not going to deep dive into them because there's far too many and I don't have enough time. But everybody listening and more people heard Putin's speech than you would think given the blanket censorship in the previously liberal free speech capitals of the Western world. More people heard Putin than might have been expected. That is becoming clear from the echo of many of the things that he said that is to be found in the West. Let me tell you that I know Spain and Spanish people very well. I'm absolutely certain that the vast majority of Spanish people view only with a deep repugnance that their parliament of all places, not their porn pages, not the pages of some National Enquirer type tabloid, but their parliament spent time debating and passing a law legalizing bestiality, men having sex with animals, as long as they don't hurt them so much they need veterinary attention. I happen to know that the vast majority, vast majority of the people in my own country, and this is crucial, the vast majority of gay people also, the vast majority of them, 
and I know many of them very well indeed, view with absolute disgust the ruminations of the Ukraine campaigner who was out on Trafalgar Square bearing a big Ukrainian flag, victory to Ukraine, Slava Ukraine, just on Saturday, blockading a group of protesters, protesting against British involvement in the war on Ukraine. I know that the vast majority of people in Britain, of all sexual orientations, view with disgust his interview in which he says that sex with a nine-year-old child by an adult is not necessarily harmful as long as the child consents. A child can not consent. Sex with a nine-year-old child is rape. Shall I tell you one of the reasons I feel most strongly about that is because I was raped, not as a nine-year-old, but as an 11-year-old. And I could tell you that consent never came into it, couldn't come into it. It's rape, pure and simple. Now, in a sane world, nobody would ever hold the other end of a Ukrainian flag with Peter Tatchell. In a sane world, nobody would ever interview him again on the mainstream media. Nobody would ever platform him again in a public event. Indeed, you could say that the director of public prosecutions ought to take a close look at the video. But none of those things will happen because this is the garden, as Joseph Borrell put it, who is ironically a Spanish or Portuguese uh, politician. This garden was the place that more than 60 people drowned today in the Mediterranean when their small wooden boat was destroyed by the tide of the Mediterranean Sea. They were fleeing to Europe. They were fleeing to the very countries that contributed to the destruction of theirs. They were either fleeing from existing Western-fueled wars, like in the blighted territory of Somalia, blighted by the US-UK-supported Islamist factions. Not in Somalia. They don't support them in Somalia. They support them in Syria, though. They support them here, there, and everywhere, according to whether or not ISIS and Al-Qaeda are fighting against regimes that they dislike even more than ISIS and Al-Qaeda. They were either fleeing from actual war still raging, or they were fleeing from the ashes of the countries in which they lived, which were burned to the ground by NATO wars. A defensive NATO military alliance turned Libya from the richest country in Africa into a place where slave markets happen regularly on Friday afternoons where people can come along and buy an African slave and where the aforementioned Hillary Clinton 
a key architect of the destruction of Libya, said, we came, we conquered, he died. That was Gaddafi, who died being brutally sodomized by an iron bar on camera. How they laughed, how Clinton laughed at his demise. She has, it seems, something of the same in mind for Vladimir Putin. Because today she calls on aides to Putin to stop him one way or another. She said that with Putin, she had to put it this way because she once had, and the Clinton crime family once had, quite close relations with the Russian leadership and with many extremely beneficent Russian oligarchs. So he can't always have been bad, you see. But something's gone wrong, either physically or mentally, and he now must be stopped. As I pointed out earlier, aides to Hillary Clinton have a very short lifespan. I'm going to reiterate a point I've made before to you, and I've researched it. There is no person on earth alive today who has had more of their close friends and their aides dead from suicide, including, of course, their close friend, Jeffrey Epstein, whose clientele list we still await. The garden, as defined by Joseph Borrell, includes, of course, North America. And we'll be talking about the progress or otherwise, the costs on both sides, and the costs to those around the world who have willfully placed themselves at the disposal of uh, the Ukrainian dictator, Vladimir Zelensky. I call him a dictator because although elected to power, he has now jailed and banned most of his political opponents. He tortures them and disappears them and has them killed, none of which you ever hear about in the so-called mainstream media. And his goons take young girls and boys, usually with browner faces than his, and tie them to lampposts and trees, remove their trousers and their undergarments, and leave them to be tortured and sexually molested, or worse, in the course of the rest of the time they spend there, tied to the lamppost or tree. They celebrate the burning down of a trade union hall in Odessa, which burned alive the opponents of the regime in Kiev. They celebrate the murder of 14,000 Ukrainians in eastern Ukraine since the violent coup in 2014 in Kiev, which overthrew the elected government there, banned the Russian language, and began ruthlessly to bombard the ethnic Russians in the east of the country, who constitute fully one-third of the entire population of Ukraine. And you never heard any of that 
on the so-called mainstream media either. Zelensky is a dictator who closes newspapers, closes television stations. Oh wait, that's what our governments have also done. They try manipulatively, algorithmically, to keep at a very low peep of the gas those who speak against them, but if necessary, as Julian Assange has found out, they throw them into a dungeon and throw away the key. Julian Assange has not seen sunlight freely for well over a decade, getting on for 14 years. And if the British judicial system has anything to do with it, he will never see it freely again. He will never touch the face freely of any of his children or his wife again. He will never be able to speak to us again, which is, of course, the whole point. Because when Julian Assange spoke to us, he caused a major crisis for the people who rule us, the people who are in power over us, because he exposed their crimes, crimes that they could guarantee the so-called mainstream media would keep entirely quiet, silent, covered up. Which leads me to the other anniversary on which we now stand. 20 years ago, I was in the front ranks of a movement of millions of people in Britain. So huge was the movement that I had to be featured virtually daily, sometimes many times daily, on the mainstream media, television and radio, and frequently quoted and even interviewed by their newspapers. Partly, some of them had a sense of duty back then, which they have now entirely lost. After all, it was evident I was speaking for as one of the leaders of a movement of millions of people against their proposed then invasion and occupation of Iraq. On this day in 1991, however, something not marked in the mainstream media and something that many of you will not even know about or have forgotten, so little has it been repeated, so little has it been analyzed. I refer, of course, to the massacre of Mutla Ridge, a massacre in which British and American pilots shot in the back literally thousands of fleeing, re retreating Iraqi forces, incinerating them in their military vehicles, in their tanks, producing photographic images which would never be shown in the mainstream media today. Google them if you don't believe me. That massacre at Mutla Ridge on this day in 1991, shooting and incinerating, retreating, surrendering, running away forces in the back, might be said to be the beginning the harbinger of the great horrors that we have experienced in our culture, in our garden. 
because it was the first time in the Middle East, as opposed to subcontracting such carnage to others, that we had been involved in such mass killing as what took place on this day in 1991. And we never stopped killing since. We killed by sanction. We killed 580,000 Iraqi children before the Bush and Blair invasion and occupation of Iraq. Long before it. And Madeleine Albright, herself now resident in the Seventh Circuit of Hell, said on ABC, on mainstream American television, that it was a high price, 580,000 dead children, little children in their little coffins. It was, she conceded, a high price. But she added, but it's a price. We think, we think a price worth paying. Well, it was worth paying for her and the people that she governed for and represented in every conceivable sense, just as it is a price worth paying for British and American and European leaders today. It is a price worth paying in Ukrainian blood. It is worth expending the lives of every last Ukrainian to preserve their global hegemony. I've spoken too long, but I want to say this in conclusion. I don't know, none of us know, how long we'll live. But having now lived through this period of horror from 1990 until 2023, of one thing I am absolutely certain, that the long era, epoch, of Anglo-Saxon empire, which lasted centuries, in which the rest of the world was looted, sometimes even of its people, never mind its treasure and its things, is coming and very quickly coming to an end. And I hope that the mother of all talk shows will be around to talk you through it. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Unlike, of course, the imposters in the so-called mainstream media, 
This is a program in which you get to speak back. I won't know who you are. I won't know what you're going to say. You can say what you like. Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough. Don't be a coward sitting in your underpants in your mother's back bedroom, writing poison pen letters on social media. Pick up the phone. Be an adult and come and argue your point of view. Now, we have a poll running at the moment, which has now almost 15,000 people have voted, and the show has just begun. And it's a simple question, a binary one. Who is losing the war? A, Ukraine, NATO, or B, Russia? You can vote on my Twitter. You can vote on my YouTube channel. And thank you to my quarter of a million subscribers, which was achieved earlier this afternoon. And you can vote on my Telegram channel, t.me forward slash George Galloway, or on the YouTube community poll where a staggering 10,000 people have just voted. So who's losing the war? A, Ukraine, NATO, B, Russia. Vote now. Make sure your voice is heard. Your vote is counted. Now, my first guest is a lady I haven't met, but whom my good wife is a big fan of and follows everything that she says and writes. And I had a quick look at one or two of the things she said and written uh, recently, just before the show. And I'm convinced you're going to like Laverne Spicer. She's the founder and director of Curly's House of Style, a charity providing services to the community. Laverne, thank you for joining us on the Mother of All Talk Shows. For those that have not yet come across your body of work, summarize for us where you sit uh, on the political spectrum in the United States. What is it that's getting your goat, as we say over here? I hope it translates. We are two countries uh, divided by a common language, of course. But what annoys you most? about the current situation in your country. Thank you, George, for having me on. And hello to your wife and hello to the British people and to the listeners out there. I'm so grateful to be on your show today. Um, first of all, um, I am a founder of a nonprofit organization, and I provide food for over 7,000 families each and every month. I help the mothers that are struggling and especially the elderly community that are really having a hard time now trying to pay their rent, trying to eat. Everything is up over here. The food is at the highest it's ever been. So right now, people are truly struggling to make it. So after hearing President Trump say, you know, why don't you all run for your uh, your district, your country, run against those and take the seats back because they're not helping you anyway. So, of course, when I heard that, that was uh, motivation, motivated me to run, uh, which I did the last couple of years for uh, my district, because we need to do more to help the American people. Something that really gets my goat is when I watch uh, that president, the old geezer, uh, Biden, who is in the office now, 
sending billions of billions of dollars of our taxpayer dollars to Ukraine to help fight a war when we have hungry people here that are starving, that are old in the United States. We have veterans that have returned back from to this country that are staying in the streets. They are struggling. They are homeless. They're trying to make it. But yet we can find so much money to help all these other countries, but we can't take care of home. And on top of that, we have an open border crisis. He has allowed millions of people to come into this country that are undocumented, unvetted. We don't know who they are. And we already didn't have the resources available to take care of our homeless population that we have here. Our homeless facilities do not have any beds available. So where, uh, what are they going to do with these people? But they want to bring them in and they want to get register them to be the new voters and the new supporters for the Democratic Party because Black people are tired of the lies of the Democrats. They have lied to us long enough. Joe Biden and uh, the Democrats, they use minorities, they use blacks only for voting purposes. Then once they get in office, they do absolutely little to nothing to help people in this country. And we are seeing that presently take place with that uh, train derailment that happened in Ohio and Joe Biden has not been there yet, and it's been almost three weeks. Those people didn't have uh, adequate drinking water. Um, they, our place was contaminated. We are seeing animals that are dying there, and absolutely nothing from him. And he's supposed to be the sitting president here in the United States, wearing uh, over 80 million voters supposedly voted for him. But well, uh, look what uh, President uh, uh, Trump... Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Ohio uh, should have changed its name to Ukraine uh, and get some of that gravy that is being shipped there. But there was a remarkable split screen uh, just the other day with uh, Trump in Ohio uh, distributing water and aid... Uh, to the people there, because you say there's no safe drinking water uh, in the region where this extraordinary toxic plume uh, emerged from a broken railroad crash, a broken railroad which was broken because of zero investment in American infrastructure. Uh, Trump was in Ohio, but Biden was, I was going to say, walking down a red carpet in Kiev, but actually he was staggering like a drunk or demented man down a red carpet in Kiev. I don't think that juxtaposition, that split screen, couple of images, will have done the Democrats much good in America. What do you say? I totally agree. Once again, we sent close to 200 billion to uh, the Ukraine. 
So where's the uh, monies for these people in Ohio? Where is the outpour of help for these people that are right here in the United States that are citizens, that are voters, that are struggling to make it right now going through a crisis right here in the United States. And we have a whole White House there in DC with the old president that's sitting up there on the throne and doing absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing for these people. And that's an embarrassment to this country. Well, you raised another issue, uh, which is, uh, of course, uh, a difficult one for many liberals, uh, but it cannot be contradicted that we have governments in Washington and London more concerned with the borders of Ukraine and whether someplace called Kupiansk is on one side or the other of that line, even though it's been in four countries in the last hundred years, than they are about their own borders. We have already, and it's only February, 65,000 people, uncharted, undocumented, unvetted. We've no idea who they are, although we know most of them are men, and most of them are fighting age men at that, who are now being put up in three, at least three-star hotels, sometimes a little better even than that, at the expense of the public, potentially forever more, when our forces cannot interdict a single one of the boats bringing illegal migrants or refugee uh, claimants for asylum. We can't know which until their cases are heard and their cases have a backlog of hundreds of thousands. And you have the same thing on your border. How can you have governments that care more about other people's borders than their own borders? That is the absolutely true. That is something that I really don't understand. It's just the fact that we have ineffective leadership and it shows how much they truly do not care about the people at all. And to me, it's very disrespectful on all levels. Just the fact that they are allowing all these people to come to this country, millions and millions again. But on look on the other hand, they are making sure that Ukraine borders are secure. They are secure in this country, not only by giving them monies, but also by giving them the, um, the state of art equipment to be able to fight this war. When on the other hand, we can't even get a pallet of drinking water for Ohio. We can't even get enough dollars to take care of these uh, seniors, which they was even entertaining touching their social security. And that is so demonic on all levels because that should not have even been part of the conversation in the first place. Now, uh, Laverne, uh, Joe Biden, in one of his uh, most famous uh, pre-election outbursts to a black uh, television host, uh, made the point that 
If you couldn't make up your mind whether to vote for Trump or vote for him, you ain't black. <laughs> he was saying it to a black man with his own face as white as snow. And so some people will be surprised and some will not that a black woman like you is talking about Biden and the Democrats in that way. How common is your point of view amongst black and minority ethnic groups in the United States? Well, I would say that, first of all, uh, we as black people, uh, minorities and others, we are intelligent. We can articulate our thoughts. And I don't need somebody that's been in uh, sir, in the White House 47 years that has done absolutely nothing for my community and for the Black people to tell me how I should be able to think or uh, talk or speak or what I should feel. That just goes to show once again how um, how much they value Black people not value black people to say, you know, they want to they want to be able to brainwash us, keep us um, in a slavery mentality where they where we need them, but we don't need them. We are independent thinkers. So Joe Biden cannot tell me what to think, how I should feel or what what I should say. That's just how Democrats and the liberals point of view is. So that's why they want those illegals in place because black people all throughout the United States are waking up and leaving the Democratic parties because we are tired of their failed policies which have failed our community for the last 60 plus years. I told them they'd like you, Laverne, and I'm certain that they have. Laverne Spicer, thank you for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Who is losing the war? A, Ukraine, NATO, or B, Russia? Well, on my Twitter, uh, 1,430 people have so far voted, 79% of whom believe that NATO is losing the war, 21% believing that Russia is. On YouTube, where 1,988 people have voted, 94% believe that NATO is losing the war, while only 6% think that Russia is. On the Telegram channel, always the most perspicacious of our voters, 96% think that NATO is losing the war, and only 4 think that Russia is. And on the YouTube community poll, easily the biggest 10,000 votes cast, 95% think that NATO is losing, 5% think that Russia is losing. This is important. I had no way of knowing how this poll would break. I thought we were bold to put it up in these terms. The editor was insistent. It had to be binary without qualifications, had to be clear. And it's headed for a record number of respondents, and it is a landslide result, saying that NATO is losing the war. Why is this important? Because if you are dependent on 
the weasel words of the so-called mainstream media, if you are dependent on an army, and I mean an army, in some cases literally the army of online social media trolls, some people with hundreds of persona, hundreds of accounts, some people being paid freelance to do so, some people actually employed full-time to do so, you would think otherwise. And my certainty that I expressed at the beginning of the show is in part borne out by my own daily experience with the public, on trains, in taxis, in railway stations, in restaurants, cafes, even, God forbid, God forgive me, last night in a pub, the doors of which I have never darkened in decades. My experience with the actual public is that they have cottoned on big time to the lying liars and the lies that they tell. Let me take a quick break. A hundred and twenty-eight thousand people on Rumble watched the mother of all talk shows last Sunday. A hundred and twenty-eight thousand. That's more than Sophie Ridge gets as an entire audience on Sky News, if it's still on the air. It's been some years since I looked at it, but I did look at the audience numbers. We had more people watching on Rumble than the Sky News flagship politics program on a Sunday. I have not yet had time to check out what Rumble is. I don't know if it's something you drive, eat, or drink. But 128,000 of you watched us there last Sunday, and I commend you all. Now, um, hundreds of thousands of people have already seen this. We've broken it into two parts. But the editor felt that perhaps especially for those overseas, this was something worth showing on the show. I was invited to speak at the ancient Oxford Union, which for 300 years has been and may yet be the last citadel of freedom of speech in this country. When it has been abolished everywhere else, it will still exist, I hope and pray, in the Oxford Union. I don't normally accept invitations to speak to students, but I accepted this one because I was going to be debating against little Ben Wallace, the dwarfish individual who is the so-called Minister of Defense of the United Kingdom. Minister for War, if they were being less Orwellian in their language. Now, little Ben is not a big man in any way. His uniform hangs about him like a dwarfish thief. And lines like that, that I was practicing to hammer him into the ancient wooden boards of the Oxford Union. He didn't turn up. He ran away. The British Minister of Defence, though billed to debate with me, didn't have the guts 
to do so. They sent along a fellow called Tobias Elwood, who's nice, but dim. Take a look. Mr. President, right honorable and honorable gentlemen, gallant officers of the military, there's an awful lot of fighters in here. Have you noticed? They're all ready to fight. I would have opposed this motion in 1933 for the reasons adumbrated by my colleagues in their opening speeches. In fact, I would have been the first in the queue at the recruiting office had I been alive to fight fascism. Indeed, I would have been agitating to fight fascism in Spain three years before the Second World War in 1936. Both of my grandfathers fought fascism under Montgomery, all the way from El Alamein to Monte Cassino. I'm a former boy soldier, Lance Bombardier, Royal Artillery, Battery 2, Army Cadet Force. I'm a former cadet in the Royal Marines at Poole in Dorset. I'm not a pacifist. In fact, I'll go five rounds with Tobias Elwood after the debate if he's up for it. And I'm twice his age. But the people on the other side arguing against this motion have already damned most of the wars that I came here to oppose. You, you even opposed the First World War and the Afghan War and the Iraq War. <laughs> Tobias Elwood tells us he opposed the Iraq War. I missed that when I was leading the fight against it. But I'm delighted that nowadays you cannot find anyone who will support these wars that our politicians gave us in this 21st century. You are quite wrong, yes. With successful military interventions such as in Moscow and Sierra Leone do not uh, agree that it is possible to have successful military interventions. No, I don't agree with the intervention in either of those cases. A better case could have been made for the Falklands. An intervention I did support. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Because that was a direct attack on British people, British citizens. And I supported it, but the Examples you give are not good ones. I'm sorry I gave way to you. I'm not going to dwell on the king. It's just as well he's got a divine right to be king because nobody would ever have picked him, least of all his own family. On this day in 1649, on this day, the rump parliament, a better parliament than we have today, passed the following motion, the office of a king in this land is unnecessary, burdensome, and dangerous to the life and liberty and public interest of the people of this nation. I wish the parliament would pass that motion today.
I'm not going to dwell on the king, for it would be an absurdity, as has been acknowledged here, that because King Charles tells you you've got to go and fight and die in a war, you're going to do it. Utterly absurd. So let's turn to country. Who is the country? What is the country? Who are you going to fight for? Rishi Sunak. <laughs> you, you upbraided the lack of height of my colleague. Have you seen Rishi Sunak? <laughs> In fact, if you, if you put Zelensky on Sunak's shoulders, you still wouldn't even get a Napoleon. These are small men. Are you really going to follow? Give them a blank check. Yes, I'll fight for you, Rishi Sunak. You only have to roll the name or his predecessor. What was our name? <laughs> Liz Truss. Are you telling me that if Liz Truss said you had to go to war and die, you'd do it because she was the prime minister? Tony Blair. Tony Blair, yes, I knew you were an I knew you were an idiot from the sunglasses that you are wearing. Tony Blair, anyone? He was on television less than two weeks ago calling for martial law to be introduced in this country. In which case I saw your lips move on Sky News. I saw your lips move on Sky News. And if we had martial law, we wouldn't be having this debate. I hope you enjoyed that. We'll play the second half of it, uh, another six minutes uh, in the second half of the show. Unless I'm snowed under with people saying, don't show any more of it, of course. It's not through vanity that I bring it to your attention. It's partly to demonstrate to the international audience that there are some young people who are intensely interested in politics and there are some young people who value freedom of speech and debate. It's called the First Amendment in the United States for a reason, because of course all other freedoms rest upon it. And if freedom of speech does not exist, no other freedom can exist. Let's go to a real sage in the United States, Erobos in New York. Erobos, welcome back to the show. It's been too long. Yes, yes, Mr. Galloway. It's a lubrious evening and greetings and salutations to you, your family, your followers, and the successful no to NATO, no to war. Thank you very much. Yes, I, um, I, I have to start by giving a shout out to our illustrious and hardworking national organizing chair, Nick Branya of the People's Party. I was pleasantly surprised because he didn't tell me when I was in Washington with him that he was actually going to be on the ground and on site with B and Dine over there. But I, I was pleasantly surprised to see him there, you know, the international coalition is really getting strong. And I also have to shout out Charlotte and Jim from Massachusetts, who are ardent and strident 
followers of yours, and they came up to me after we touched down in D.C. for Rage Against the War Machine and said that they heard my intonations on your program in the recent past. So I wanted to shout out Charlotte and Jim, who are probably listening now. God uh, bless them both. The, yes, definitely, definitely. They, they're kindly, kindly folk. The, um, the essence of my call was to say that I actually feel a, a surge of optimism that I haven't felt in a very long time, if ever, about this restarting of the anti-war movement. You know, I was, uh, I volunteered to go down there in D.C. and they helped me. I couldn't be with you all in London for reasons that are profoundly complicated and involves the, uh, the United Snakes government. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to go, but I, I just I'm precluded from at this point in time. But I wanted to say that I was I was definitely inspired and moved by the variety of speakers we had here and, and you had in London, whether from whatever ideology and spectrum. And also we received a, a lot of pushback and a lot of um you know, a lot of a lot of hate from the identity the identity goons, right? The people who think that focusing on identity to the exclusion of everything else is what's going to save us. Uh, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Dore, when he was speaking over here in Washington, he, he summed it up brilliantly <laughs> in a joke. He said that my house is burning down and the fire department shows up and he stops them at the door and he says, before you put out the fire that's burning down my house, tell me what's your stance on social security, guns, abortion, LGBTQ plus issues and immigration. You have to answer these questions before you put out the, the fire. And, and you know the the fire department is standing there nonplussed and befuddled, and they look at him, and then he says, "Well, I guess you're just going to watch my house burn down." This is the mentality of these people. <laughs> you know, it was a brilliant, yeah. brilliant joke. <laughs> I Do you know what, Arobas? Uh, let me interrupt you just for a second. Mm -hmm. You know, I. I pray nightly that Jimmy Dore runs for president of the United States for the People's Party. I think he would do fantastically well. I can think of no one who would do uh, remotely as well as Jimmy. He has everything, including the hat. He has the persona. He has the charisma. He has the eloquence. He has the intelligence. He has the quick-wittedness. He has the sense of humor. He has the common touch. He can send arrows directly and pierce the hearts of millions of Americans and move them, move them into action. Sorry, that's just my unsolicited, because I know he hasn't made up his mind to run, but if I could get a draft Jimmy Dore campaign running, I'd definitely do it. Back to you, my friend. Last word. Yes, brilliant, brilliant. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. That was a serendipitous synchronicity indeed, because I, I approached him on two occasions when we were at the after party at Max Blumenthal's uh, The Crow's Nest over there in D.C., and I approached him at the event when I was um, given the, the, the duty of escorting him for a little while so he wouldn't be mobbed. And I said, the reason why people are approaching you about the presidential run is because there is no one else, right? There is, there is, there is no one else. I mean, there are other people 
by Garland Nixon and other people who are qualified and able, but people are coming to you for the same reasons that you just adumbrated. There's really no one else, and this is why people are coming to you. So uh, thank you for taking my call, and power to, <laughs> power to the Workers' Party of Great Britain, power to the People's Party, power to Gayatri and the kids, and all the people there in the background keeping this program on the air, despite the hate and the attacks from the NAFO scum dogs. And uh, bless you, and bless, and bless Motes. God bless you. I, 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 you always make me want to cry. Let me uh, hurry on in thanking you and going to the next call. It's Wayne in England, in Cheshire, on Ukraine. Go ahead, Wayne. Hello, hello George. It's always a privilege to be on the show. Thank you, sir. Um, it's just a story of um, a bizarre happening which happened a couple of weeks ago in my local town. Um, I went in the local supermarket and there was a lady sat down um, it was a charity for children in Ukraine. <clears throat> so I was talking to her and I said, I'll tell you what, I said, I'll give you some money because I do like to give to charity um, if it's for all the children of Ukraine. And she said, um, she said well, what do you mean? I said, well, forget about the politics of the, um, the military situation there, but there's going to be kids in need on both sides. And it was just a silence and she looked at me in absolute horror. And I, I didn't want to upset her, obviously, so I thought, oh, I'll leave this. I'll carry on around the shop. And I was funny, I was going through self-service, and you know, sometimes you can sense and see something at the side. Well, basically, the lady was stood up talking to the manager, pointing at me. So I um, paid the money, self-service, and as I was walking out, the manager and the security man stopped me at the door and said, you have to wait here. I've rang the police. Uh, what? So... And I said, I don't think so. So I sort of got out of there. So is, uh, am I a traitor? That, that's how they made me feel. Yeah, I mean, of course, there are uh, attack dogs uh, for, the, for the masters of war. Uh, but most uh, of the people are merely sheep uh, that are easily rounded up by the sheep dogs of uh, the masters of war. But it is a diminishing asset, Wayne. It's a declining thing. First of all, uh, you once couldn't move for people collecting for Ukraine. That definitely ain't true now. In Marks and Spencers, you were once more or less strong-armed to give a pound to Ukraine when you paid for your groceries at the end of your shop. You had to practically declare yourself a demon uh, in refusing to pay it. Though one of my friends, Audrey White, said at the No to NATO, No to War rally yesterday, when I was asked by Marks and Spencers if I would give a pound to Ukraine, I said, no, I want to give a pound to Palestine. They didn't call the police on her, uh, but uh, perhaps she was just lucky. But none of that is uh, salient at all today. The flags have been run down the mast. The twibbons have disappeared. As Jim Davidson puts it, disappearing one row at a time. They cannot hold a meeting in London or anywhere else in support of the war in Ukraine, in support of the UK-US-NATO war in Ukraine. Nobody would come to it. The only people who would come to it would be people who opposed it. 
Although the difference between them and us is we would not seek to ban their meeting as they tried so hard to ban ours. But as they say, he who laughs last laughs loudest. And yesterday in central London, our no to NATO, no to war rally not only took place, but it had to be repeated immediately after the first rally. Not one more time, but two more times. Our no to NATO, no to war rally was held three times from 11 o'clock in the morning until six o'clock at night. If I sound hoarse, it's because as the person in the chair and the person who had to give a speech three times on the same subject, but to a virtually entirely different audience. And hundreds of people had to be turned away. So the NATO dogs of war failed to stop us. They cannot hold a NATO dog of war rally because nobody would come to it. Because increasingly, nobody actually supports them. And that, Wayne, is going to become increasingly obvious. Donald Trump gave a speech the other day, which I saw on social media, which was so utterly remarkable. For the first time, it made me feel a pang of regret that Donald Trump was not still in the White House. Before you condemn me for that, listen to what he had to say. World War III has never been closer than it is right now. We need to clean house of all of the warmongers and America last globalists in the deep state, the Pentagon, the State Department, and the national security industrial complex. One of the reasons I was the only president in generations who didn't start a war is that I was the only president who rejected the catastrophic advice of many of Washington's generals, bureaucrats, and the so-called diplomats who only know how to get us into conflict, but they don't know how to get us out. For decades, we've had the very same people, such as Victoria Nuland and many others just like her, obsessed with pushing Ukraine toward NATO, not to mention the State Department support for uprisings in Ukraine. These people have been seeking confrontation for a long time, much like the case in Iraq and other parts of the world. And now we're teetering on the brink of World War III. And a lot of people don't see it, but I see it. And I've been right about a lot of things. They all say Trump's been right about everything. None of this excuses in any way the outrageous and horrible invasion of Ukraine one year ago which would have never happened if I was your president, not even a little chance. But it does mean that here in America, we need to get rid of the corrupt globalist establishment that has botched every major foreign policy decision for decades. And that includes President Biden, whose own people said he's never made a good decision when it comes to looking at other countries and looking at wars. We have to replace them with people who support American interests. Over our four years in the White House, we made incredible progress in putting the America last contingent aside and bringing the world to peace, 
And now we're going to complete the mission. The State Department, Pentagon, and national security establishment will be a very different place by the end of my administration. In fact, just into my administration, it'll be a very different place. And it'll get things done, just like I did four years ago. We never had it so good. We'll also stop the lobbyists and the big defense contractors from going in and pushing our senior military and national security officials toward conflict, only to reward them when they retire with lucrative jobs, getting paid millions and millions of dollars. Take a look at the globalist warmonger donors backing our opponents. That's because they're candidates of war. I am the president who delivers peace, and it's peace through strength. There was a reason we had no conflict. There was a reason we didn't get into wars, because other countries respected us. I entirely built all right from the beginning, rebuilt our military. It's a big reason for that. They didn't want to mess around with the United States, and now they're laughing at us. We could end the Ukraine conflict in 24 hours with the right leadership. At the end of my next four years, the warmongers and frauds and failures of the senior ranks of our government will all be gone, and we will have a new group of competent national security officials who believe in defending America's vital interests above all else. Thank you very much. He's the right-wing candidate. You're supposed to hate him and love Joe Biden. You're supposed to hate the Republicans and love the Democrats. Don't make me laugh. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Now, as I said, Mike Jones is an independent journalist an English expat living and working and married in Russia. He is a former military man here in Britain. He's an officer and a gentleman. And he has an experience of life in Russia which quite belies the maniacal, demonical impression, description, that is painted of Russia in the West, in countries like Britain, perhaps second only to the United States, most of all. He was so popular, we've invited him back. Mike Jones in St. Petersburg. Welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. I wanted to uh, ask you about Putin's speech and the issues that I was uh, alluding to earlier. Putin sought to place this whole affair in a civilizational context. He damned with a great deal of justification, I'm sorry to say, as someone who has to live here, he damned the culture of depravity and degradation destruction of family values, destruction of all that was 
sacred, which has been profaned in late capitalist Western countries. And he counterposed what he says is the traditional values of the Russian people. A civilization, he said, which doesn't claim superiority, but claims its distinctness. And the responsibility, he said, having received it from our fathers and mothers, is to pass it on to our sons and our daughters. I found that amongst the most powerful parts of his address. How did they go down in Russia? Thank you for having me back, uh, Mr. Galloway. Yes, uh, I'd also, before I answer your question, like to uh, echo the sentiments that you've expressed regarding Jimmy Dore uh, and your caller, Wayne, as well, from the UK. That's an issue very close to my heart. I'm perturbed, to say the least, but not surprised, sadly, to hear about these actions that he experienced back in my home country. Regarding Putin's speech, yes, it was an enormous speech, as you know, and as many of your viewers are presumably already aware. Unfortunately, YouTube did take down that video that I um, broadcast with the English translation for reasons unknown to me. It was received extremely positively by Russian people. It was 86% of those polled believed that Putin was sincere and received positively by the Russian people. And I would go further. <laughs> there were people in my stream on my channel that watched that address who woke up at 3 a.m. US time, I'm not sure where exactly in the US, to listen to the president of Russia and his speech. And they were impressed by what he said. And that's the people of the uh, United States. The people of Russia were very much encouraged by many of his social reforms, the talk of education, returning to vocational um, implementation, such as they had in the Soviet Union. Many of these things harkened back to those times. And Putin himself said, we need to learn the lessons of the Soviet, uh, Soviet Union, take the best parts and move them forward. He talked about the future of Russia, being in children, being in family, being in the building of kindergartens and schools. He talked very much in a manner that was opposite to Joe Biden, who was insulting, derogatory, and as Trump has just said there, warmongering. And these are things that people in the West do not want to hear. They don't want to hear of warmongering. Trump visiting Ohio, Biden declining, I'm seeing a lot of admiration for the leadership of Russia and derision for the leadership of the West. Yeah, derision is a good way of putting it, Mike. Uh, I haven't done it yet, though. People are pushing me to conduct a poll which simply asks, who would you rather was running your country, uh, Putin or Biden? Uh, I'm loath to do it because it will attract all kinds of brickbats more than we need. But I'm increasingly certain that, as somebody put it on the show last week, if you ask people, would they rather be governed by Putin and Lavrov or the numbnuts that are governing them 
in their own countries, what do you think they'd vote? And I kind of think we all know what they would vote. There's a reason why I titled my summary and analysis of Putin's speech Leader of the World. I would go even further, Mr. Galloway, and say that with regards, you've just said Putin, uh, Mr. Lavrov, uh, Mrs. Zakharova as well. But I'll add Mr. Wang Li of the uh, Chinese Foreign Ministry as well. The Chinese have displayed exemplary statesmanship and diplomacy and competence and measured responses. The Chinese even coming forward with a peace plan, something we've not heard of from the West. Unfortunately, yes, I have to agree with you. The sentiment that I hear is that people are filled with admiration for the competency of the leadership they're seeing in, I'm going to go as far as, say, BRICS plus countries as well. The South African foreign minister decrying the bullying from Blinken, from Newland, as Trump again highlighted Newland as well, a key character here that is fueling this, well, bloodletting, as I like to call it. Yeah, as uh, it might well be called. Uh, the, the reality is that just like the Soviet Union was culturally, socially, uh, a conservative country in many ways. It was, of course, politically radical. It was economically radical. It was radical in its foreign policy, uh, not least in South Africa, where, if not for the Soviet Union and the Russian people, uh, the apartheid regime might still be ruling because, of course, the struggle to overthrow apartheid was supported only by the Soviet Union and China and Cuba and other allied countries like that, while apartheid was supported entirely, wholly, by the Western countries who today seek to bully the South African liberation government into making enemies of the people who supported them to the nth uh, degree. But getting back to this socially, culturally conservative, it was always apparent to me and I had more to do with the Soviet Union than you, obviously, that one of the ways in which the Soviet Union was potentially a threat to the hegemony of the Western capitalist model was that the Western capitalist model was cutting away at things that were actually precious to people. I quoted... Marx earlier with our attribution, uh, who in 1848 predicted that in the future, in our countries, all that is sacred will be profaned and all that is solid will melt into air. And that is precisely what has happened in the West. There is nothing sacred. Even having sex with animals is now legal in Spain as a decision of the Spanish Parliament. Nothing is sacred anymore. And nothing is solid either. No one knows if they'll still even be in work over the next three months. Never mind that they're, they're, their children can look forward to a better life than they themselves had. This is one of the appeals of Putin. 
and of Xi Jinping, the Chinese leader. They promise solidity. And they have a concept of values which are sacred. Am I right? You are absolutely right. And what you've just described here, I recall a march in Berlin with men who were with relations with their dogs, for instance, and this was celebrated and upheld by the Western media. Russia has been absolutely clear they want none of this culture in their country. This is a society where they say, our land, our rules. We want none of that. Thank you very much. Patriarch Kirill was uh, speaking today as well about such values. And Putin in his speech, if I may refer back to it as well, talked heavily about traditional values, the family protecting the children. He even called this the year of the teacher and the year of the parent with respect between the two and coming together and forming those foundations of life to uh, promote success and also respect. Uh, my wife in the interview there, she talked about how when she grew up, and I recall in my early years of education, in secondary school particularly, one would stand up when the teacher entered the room. One would not shout back, much less assault the teacher, as I've seen a video just the other day from America, if they take your Nintendo Switch from you. Of course, back then we didn't have the prevalence of mobile phones, but still, if, if one were whispering to a friend, you, you could expect a clap round the ear, and my parent would support the teacher for doing so back not just 20 years ago. We've seen a radical shift in this. I don't like where it's going in the West, and many feel the same as myself. Yeah, and you see... There are some who think that this degradation, this depravity, this path that we're on is somehow left because it's liberal. A total confusion. I mean, I'm not left. I am a socialist, but that's not the same thing as a liberal. As a matter of fact, I have never been a liberal on any matter. Of course, on... Sexual matters, I, I'm, I'm a bit like Donald Trump. I, I'm quite happy if people party, as long as they're consenting. Adults, I don't care who puts what where. It's not my business. But I've never been a liberal. And there are many people who say that uh, Putin is trying to recreate uh, the Soviet Union. But what he says is, anyone who has no feelings in their heart for the Soviet Union, is a fool. Anyone who wants in their head to recreate the Soviet Union has a problem with their mind. It's about taking the best parts, isn't it? It's about taking what was good about the Soviet Union, modernizing it, and bringing it forward, as you said. That's absolutely correct. And the Western media loves to misquote Putin on that specific quote where he said that. And his measures that he announced in his speech have been extremely popular for numerous reasons across numerous demographics. Now, of course, the younger generation don't remember those times in the Soviet Union, the struggles that they had. But remember, a bulk of Russia is a rural population. And the second most popular party after Putin's is, of course, the Communist Party. Now, 
uh, Putin's word says, we don't want to recreate the Soviet Union. But in his speech, he was saying, we shouldn't shun the Soviet Union nor forget it. We must take the best pieces and learn from those and use them to move forward, as you've just described. This degradation in the West, you do not have to be religious to appreciate it, to be abhorred by it. You can feel it in your soul, in your own moral compass. Something terrible is happening to the West and a destiny awaits for it. Russia, indeed perhaps even China, despite being communist and perhaps atheist, they still uphold more moral values and codes than we're seeing in the circus that currently is the collective West as it's known today. We are headed towards a multipolar world and the sooner that Blinken and Newland understand this and surrender to it, the better in my personal opinion. I also believe that Trump uh, has the right idea and I believe, despite the fact he was lambasted by the Western media, I believe these are also values that Trump upholds. But do forgive me because Trump is not my area of expertise. Now, how can people follow your work, Mike? I know from the last time you were on, a lot of people wanted to, and I'm sure that that will be true also this evening. Uh, tell people how they can follow you, how they can support your work. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Galloway. Uh, they can follow me primarily. My largest channel is on YouTube. Unfortunately, thanks to a uh, NewsGuard report of censorship, I have been banned for a week, so I won't be uploading on YouTube. I'm also on uh, ilgray.locals.com. Uh, Maybe we can put that up on the screen. What about Rumble? Uh, you may have I heard me say it earlier. Rumble. I, I, I'm big on Rumble now, whatever it is. Myself as well, thanks to uh, Locals as well. I'm on Rumble and Odyssey. And I'd like to thank all of your viewers and supporters for their wonderful outpouring of support for my work. And thank you for featuring me, Mr. Galloway. Lovely. God bless you and your family there in Russia. The uh, poll is uh, 16,614 of you have voted. Who is losing the war on Twitter? NATO, 80%. Russia, 20%. On YouTube, NATO, 93%. Russia, 7%. On Telegram, NATO, 97%. No, uh, sorry, Russia, 3%. On the YouTube community poll, NATO, 95%. And Russia, 5%. And 11,000 people have voted on that portal alone. Don't you think this is all rather significant? Don't you think it is cause for what Erobus called optimism? I'm feeling oddly optimistic. How about you? You can call me and tell me. Terry is in Rainford in Essex. Hadn't we been there already? Terry. It's Rainford, it's Rainford Merseyside. But what okay, I wanted I beg to your say, first, no, it's okay, George. First of all, I want to urge everybody that's listening to this show to at least subscribe another person uh, and then we'll really, be, uh, we'll really be doing something positive. Absolutely. It's a very, very good point. Everyone can do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Know. Everyone can yeah, do it. Every person yeah, watching this tonight and in the next few days on the clips can speak to one other person and persuade them to watch the show on Wednesday. But that, then we'll that's double. Right, George. 
will 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 yeah, exponentially. Right. Double, yeah, will exponentially within, within an instant. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Yeah. Well, what I think is, without free speech, we don't have a democracy. No, we've got nothing. And if and if somebody's controlling algorithms and and stopping people from saying what they want to say, we're we're being controlled. But anyway, that that point aside, your uh, your poll that uh, you're talking about were uh, Ukraine and NATO. I want to take issue about that because NATO has not aligned itself with Ukraine other than the supplying some assistance to Ukraine. I mean, Zelensky would love to get uh, NATO involved. And when we say NATO, we mean the United States, because there's none of the other NATO countries could ever take on Russia. And I don't even think uh, the USA is a, a, a match for Russia. Um, we've not learned well, anything uh, from this. Uh, Jerry, I, I know the, the nuance uh, point that you're trying to make, but the reality is that the NATO countries, our own amongst them, uh, have given literally hundreds of billions of euros, dollars and pounds to the Ukrainian war machine. We have supplied limitless until now, and there's an important caveat, limitless amounts of military hardware and ammunition without which this war would already have been over. And without which, if it had not been in the pipeline all along, the war might never have started. So you can't say that NATO hasn't committed itself to this war. <coughs> Every NATO leader has been there uh, walking around in the green screen surround of President Zelensky's presidential compound. It's not the kind of videos he used to make there, but we'll leave that aside for now on the subject of degradation and depravity. Uh, they've all been there. They are all demanding that... Zelensky keep sacrificing the Ukrainian people. And if they were not, and were not making it possible with money and weapons and propaganda support, then perhaps hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians who will otherwise be dead would still be alive. Terry, thanks for the call. I mean it sincerely. Gavin is in Canada, in Ottawa. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Gav. Yes, I just want to say thank you for doing such a great job and to let you know that we are watching over here. God bless you. And you are definitely right about um, the pipeline. I, I, nobody disputes that anymore, Gavin. How can they dispute it? Hirsch's article is literally unanswerable. Yes, definitely. And then... I also want to say that in this day and age, I honestly believe there is no reason why any two nations should go to war. We should no, be able to come to a reasonable every war settlement. represents a failure of diplomacy. And as yes. Julian Assange said, every war is begun by lies. And this one, yeah. perhaps more than any other. And it didn't happen yesterday. It didn't happen under this administration. It didn't happen under Rishi Sunak or even under Joe Biden, although Biden's been punting it for a very long time. This has yeah. been 
a policy of, look, if I were, if you gave me just one couplet in which I explained the Ukraine, NATO, Russia war, it would be this, Gavin. Would America allow Russian and Chinese weapons in Ottawa pointed at the United States? Would Washington allow Russian and Chinese weapons and bases to be situated in Mexico? Everybody watching knows the answer to those two questions. The answer is a, a voluminous no, an explosive, deathly no. America would never allow Russian and Chinese military alliance to be made with Canada or with Mexico. So what is surprising about Russia not being prepared to allow exactly that state of affairs to exist in the country next door to it? It's kind of blindingly obvious if you put it like that. At least I think so, Gavin. God bless you and all the good people of Canada. Let's take a quick look at how the massacre of the Oxford Union ended. Watch this. Tony Blair, anyone who caused the death of a million people and counting who cascaded fanatic Islamist extremism around the world, you called them spores, the murder cult of ISIS, Al-Qaeda, the head-chopping throat-cutters, the million dead Iraqis, and you want to do it all again by signing a blank check to Tobias Elwood? He told you, did you notice the word that he, the caveat that he slipped in for you? There's no conscription yet, he said. Did you notice it? He was on television less than two weeks ago calling for martial law to be introduced in this country, in which case I saw your lips move on Sky News. I saw your lips move on Sky News. And if we had martial law, we wouldn't be having this debate. And it might not be long before you can take off your fur hat and put on a tin one and go off to fight and die on the question of whether Kupiansk is on one side of a line when it's been in four different countries in the last hundred years. You ready to die for that? Because I'm not. And I'm not ready for sure to give a blank check to politicians to command my loyalty. My loyalty is to God, to my religion. I believe in St. Thomas Aquinas' concept of the just war. I'll fight in a just war. If somebody attacks us, I'll fight them. Getting on in years as I am. I'll tell my son to go and fight them. All of my sons, all of my daughters, for a just cause. But you're not fighting for a just cause if you sign up to the concept 
that you will fight for king and country because that's an unqualified commitment that you are making. My colleague was mocked for pointing out that there are circumstances in which, what does that bell mean by the way? Some people have spoken for 20 minutes. The, she pointed out there are circumstances in which we would fight. Now I, I saved this last bit for little Ben Wallace who I was told was coming here tonight. And frankly, he's the only reason I'm here and he didn't show up. You're going to fight with what? With what? You said I'd attack Tommy Atkins. I never have. I attack the donkeys that exploit the lives and limbs of the lions that they send into these wars. You will never hear me attack an individual British soldier. Far from it. I'm one of the volunteers of Jim Davidson's care after combat, looking after people that have been abandoned by the politicians that gaily sent them into war. Where is Tommy Atkins? He's on the streets with the homeless people. Where is Tommy Atkins? He's in the mental health hospital, damaged and abandoned by those that sent him into war. Where is Tommy Atkins? He's disproportionately in the prison system and not as a warder. Where is Tommy Atkins? He's disproportionately hooked on drugs. He's in Piccadilly Gardens in Manchester. I've picked him up myself, hooked on fentanyl and all these new opioids. That's what Tommy Atkins ends up doing in Tory Britain. They send these men off to war filled with their fake patriotism, king and country, straw hats and trumpets. And when they come back, they have no use for them. They leave them to rot on the streets without houses, jobs, futures, hope. So don't come here and wave your flags at me. Don't come here and sound the tinny brass trumpet of your patriotism. Yes, we will fight for the working people of this country. Yes, we will fight for the good things about our way of life. By the way, when did you fall out of love with using armed force to take territory? We, we control 25% of the entire world's surface and ruled one-third of the people of the world under our flag. All of it taken by armed conquest. All of those people held in subjugation by the British Empire and now they want to parade as if they were Boy Scouts that oppose the acquisition of other people's territory by force. These hypocrites, Robert Burns, my national poet, put it this way in an ode on the occasion of a national thanksgiving. Ye hypocrites, are these your pranks to murder men and gee God thanks? Halt, desist, go nay further. God'll no accept your thanks for murder. I move.
No bad, as we say, where I come from. Donald is on the line in Barnsley. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Donald. Yeah, I was just ringing up, George. I mean, I watch your programme all the time. I'm a big fan. I mean, <laughs> I'm son of a, 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 a Glaswegian woman who was a socialist, and I'm 63 now. Obviously, she's dead. Marvellous, uh, marvellous. I, I've, I've just... Uh, what, I haven't seen on the... Edward. Trouble is, I can't stand watching the mainstream media. So yeah, I might be. Yeah, well, things may pass me by. I don't know, but I haven't seen any sort of um, anything about the no to NATO sort of uh, marches or, or protests or whatever. Um, were they massively attended? How did it go? Well, I, I can only speak for hours. Uh, it was so massively attended, we had to hold it three times. And still, lots of people... I just got a note from someone. Uh, Frank O'Connell, your venue was full. I had to go elsewhere. So uh, ours was a massive success. And we have founded a national organization, which we hope will be global, called No to NATO no to war, and I hope, uh, Donald, that you will join it. But, of course, it didn't appear in the mainstream media, although, interestingly, the only newspaper that attended it throughout all three sessions with the reporter writing copiously was the New York Times. Let's just hope we're going to get a sympathetic hearing in the New York Times, but not the London Times or London Broadcasting Corporation or any of these Mickey Mouse uh, talk radios, talk TV, none of that, no. Uh, but they're old hat, Donald. More people will watch this show that you're on tonight than watch any news or current affairs on any other so-called mainstream platform, in fact, more than all of them put together. BBC Question Time has an audience of 220,000 people. Sophie Ridge on Sky News has an audience of 80,000 people. Piers Moron on Murdoch's Talk TV has an audience of two or three hundred, sometimes fewer than that. So this is where it's at, Donald. You're not missing out on anything by being here. And that's why we've now got two shows a week. And that's why we need a dedicated show on a Friday night at midnight UK time to cater for the millions of American people that want to hear these ideas, these arguments. Why we need, on another occasion, a moat at Berlin. This is where it's at. We've got to be our own media. There is a, a great one here. Forgive me, Donald. Malcolm X warned us about the power of the media, and that is true. But now there's a new kid on the block, and all the voices that are shouting a different point of view are starting to be heard. And what do you know? There are millions and millions and millions of them. I now know that there are people in the USA, Africa, Europe, and the Middle East, everywhere, who think the same as me, and they are joining forces. And that's from Tom Orr, who concludes, I am more optimistic than I have ever been. Well, Tom, that's you and me both. And it was Erobus 
in New York. Also, I'll tell you what, the tide has turned. Stephanie is in London on digital ID, the new brainchild of one Tony Blair. Go ahead, Stephanie. Yes, hello, George. Thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for having the shows. They're fabulous. Um, Yes, the digital ID, that the government is doing the survey and it's on their website. I've been posting it during the chats. Um, And they've got the survey for them, for people to let them know what we think about the digital ID that they're planning for everybody to begin mm. in December this year. I so everyone should, uh, everyone should get on that survey. How do they do it, Stephanie? Well, I have been posting the link. It's on the government website. Yeah, but uh, um, just t- tell me now, and I'll tell everybody, because not everyone is on these chats. So tell me, uh, tell me, it's on the government's website. What page? Do you know? Hold on, I'm just trying to find the link while we're on here. Yeah. Without cutting you off. Oh. No, don't worry, Stephanie. Uh, we'll, we'll do it ourselves. We'll give the, uh, the address of the survey. And we need to flood that survey. We don't want digital ID. We don't want digital currency. We don't want digital because we know that if Tony Blair is in favor of it, it has to be a bad thing for the rest of us. And what is that bad thing? It is that they can control us better with digital ID and with digital currency. Have I got that right, Steph? Exactly. And I can't believe that I can't accept it in any way, shape or form because I'm a bit older than you and I lived in the free era. I was a teenager in the 60s. Fern didn't really say that. Um, And this, what we're going through and coming to is just abhorrent. It just is... The new yeah. world order, all those it's people. Anathema. It, it, is, it, is, it is anathema uh, to any free people. And if we don't wake up and get organized and stop these people, there'll be no freedom at all. And those of us who can will have to move uh, beyond any possible remedy. And I don't want that to happen because I love this green and pleasant land. I loved it more the way it was, but I love it still. And I don't want it to turn toxic from this scepter aisle to this septic aisle. I'm determined, like you, Stephanie, to stop that. Now, my son and I had to miss the football today. Uh, Not only miss it in person, though we could have had tickets, but miss it on television because we were driving here uh, to this studio. And so we heard it only on a very bad radio signal in a hired car with a poor radio because our own car has been disabled by a thief who in the early hours of Saturday morning smashed in its back windscreen and stole uh, some personal stuff, including Torrens football gear. I'm not blaming NATO for that. 
because they didn't do it. But the bigger thieves are them. The thief who stole my stuff and my son's football boots is a thief for sure. Bad man. I had to tell him to my two-and-a-half-year-old when she couldn't understand how this had happened that it had been done by a baddie. But there's little baddies and there's big baddies. There's little thieves and there's big thieves. The big thieves are those who rule the world and send it, hurtling towards oblivion in war and despoilation. Time for two last calls. Ian in Hounslow. On you go, Ian. Good evening, George. Yes, I was at the um, at Bolivar House on Saturday on the No to NATO Which uh, meeting. The first one. The first it was great, one. wasn't it? The two American speakers were outstanding. The, the, yes, they were good. But uh, it went from the Ukraine war to the culture war when some woman from Liverpool decided to call anybody who had the audacity to complain about undocumented migrants committing sexual assault against minors as fascists. And that includes no, me. No, she didn't. No, no, I saw no, your... I was uh, there. I, I saw... Uh, I was there. I was cheering it. So don't tell me you were there as if I wasn't there. And I've got the video of it, which yeah. will be published, which will Good. prove you to be telling... A liar. Lies. A liar. Or maybe, uh, or maybe, maybe you're just confused, Ian. But I saw the foul... Vile, misogynistic, ugly letter that you wrote about my Good. friend Audrey White. Good. And I will not tolerate any further attacks on her by you. Be gone. Good. Be gone. Let's hear from the legend, Norma, in Bristol. Go ahead, Norma. Hello, George. Um, you've been a very busy man, haven't you? Um, I have indeed. I just, <laughs> no, I wanted to just say what a fool I think Peter Tatchell has been because about 40 years ago, as you probably know, he sort of narrowly lost this by-election in Bermondsey for the Labour seat. And I agreed with his policies and also his confrontations with, in the past, with homo homophobic hypocrites, as I call them. But he's, he's shot himself in the foot now because he interrupted the peace march and his views on underage sex are so wrong. But I did admire him, you know, um, years and years ago. I just wanted to stick up for him a bit in the past. Uh, well, I can't uh, stick up for someone who said what he said. Uh, of course, in the past, I... In the by-election in Bermondsey, uh, I was a Labour Party official sticking up for him, risking my job to stick up for him. And, of course, uh, he has, in the past, shown a great deal of courage. But what he said about sex with nine-year-old children is so beyond the pill that it must render him persona non grata to any right-thinking person. And there's nothing homophobic about that because the vast majority of adults having sex with young children are not homosexuals. They are heterosexual men. 
having sex with young girls. There's nothing homophobic or otherwise about this question. This is a question of children, of their innocence, and of, as I, if I wanted to and if I had time to, I could tell you the effect of what happened to me. Until now, at the age of 68. But I don't want to, and I don't have time to in any case. This scar that children being sexually abused and raped in this way, it's nothing to do with being gay or not gay. It's about an adult persuading themselves that a small child wants it, is asking for it, is enjoying it. It is an evil almost beyond description. It is a crime of truly horrific and lifelong lasting consequences for the victims of it. And so I say now, as I said at the beginning, there is no person on this island or any other land who should ever again Give a moment's house room to Peter Tatchell, who has rendered himself null and void in human and political society, in my view, with the utterly repulsive and dangerous, dangerous nostrums that he enunciated in that interview. Him and the Ukrainian flag they deserve each other. Unfortunately, that's all I've got time for. But the good news is that, God willing, I'll be back with you on Wednesday evening at the slightly later time of 9 p.m. UK time. I want to ask you to do what an earlier caller asked you to do, to bring one other viewer, maybe another member of your family, maybe a workmate, maybe just a friend. Tell them about the mother of all talk shows. Ask them to be there on Wednesday. Thanks for watching.